every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, I'm going to stop this uh, screen share and I'm going to hand over to Rob. And thank you. Sync with it, wasn't it? Great. Um, well, it is well, a joy to. Oh. Um, can... There you go. Brilliant. Well, it's a joy to be with you uh, this morning. Thanks again for having me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to actually getting to uh, meet lots of you uh, or more of you when lockdown actually finishes at some point. And um, let me pray for us quickly as we start. Um, Father, we do pray that you would feed us all, feed our hearts with a rich feast from your word this morning. Um, please help us all to grasp what you're saying in this amazing bit of scripture and feed us for the week ahead and uh, yeah for our lives with you please help us we pray amen well i can say that i i can't hope uh, to do this prayer justice this morning this prayer is i think one of the greatest if not actually the greatest in all of scripture i wonder if you noticed that as you read through that it's it's vision of the christian life is almost unparalleled. It takes us to the heart of pretty much everything. Uh, the universe, who God is, who the Christ is, what it means to be his church, what we're made for. Uh, and if you're anything like me, it's also a prayer that exposes the shallowness of much of our own praying. But even more than that, I think it's a prayer that spurs us on uh, to depend on God, who is powerfully at work in us, to do good to us, his church, forever, despite all our failures. So I cannot hope uh, to do justice to this prayer in the 15 minutes that we have to look at it this morning. But as I start, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see something perhaps that seems a little, um, well, uh, down to earth uh, in comparison to those uh, profound truths. I'd like to tell you about a toilet uh, bear with me. I, I hope this will actually help us get a sense of what Paul is uh, saying in this prayer. Uh, when I was at university, I used to live in a room right near the middle of my campus. Um, uh, and the most accessible toilet for visitors was just outside my door. And once we had a very special visitor, uh, no, no one less than the Queen herself. So this loo was completely renovated for her, and it was glorious. The Queen's Loo, we called it. 
Uh, the paint was some fancy brand, probably Farrah and Ball. There was no light switch or flush. You didn't have to touch anything. Everything was motion sensitive, no pun intended. And uh, it had the biggest sink you could imagine. You could, you could swim in the thing. It was a glorious toilet that I guess was meant to reveal or did reveal something of the glory of the woman who briefly inhabited it. Now, I think that's a, a little bit of an analogy to what Paul is describing here. You see, this prayer describes a royal visitor, the Christ, who has come to inhabit us, not just briefly, not just passing through, but forever to live in us. Like a groom moving in with his new bride, that's an image Paul will use later. And, and as he moves in, as he dwells in our hearts, it's supposed to change us, to fill us with divine glory so that as a church, we then reveal something of the glory of the God who dwells inside. I've tried to sum up this uh, prayer this way. It's a, a poor attempt uh, to sum it up. There's so much going on here, but this is my attempt if you're taking notes. Pray for God's power to know Christ's love living in you, to be filled with his glory. Pray for God's power to know Christ's love living in you, to be filled with God's glory. Well, Paul's prayer today, it begins with the words, for this reason, for this reason I kneel and and he goes on to pray. And we should be asking, shouldn't we, for what reason? What is the reason that makes Paul pray this prayer? Well, well if you remember back to 3 verse 1, Paul was about to pray back then, wasn't he, in 3 verse 1. But then he uh, st- instead broke off for an aside about his own ministry. And what was the reason he was talking about in 3 verse 1? Well, of course, it's the end of chapter 2, isn't it? The last verse of chapter 2 gave us the stunning claim that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're being built to be God's holy temple, says Paul in 2 verse 21. And now in this climactic prayer that's at the heart of Ephesians, Paul drives home that the church is God's permanent royal residence. And he prays for that truth to become, if you like, more true. (laughs) He prays in verse 16 that God would strengthen our inner being by his spirit. So that verse 17, so that Christ, verse 17, do you see, may dwell in our hearts. If you like, Paul is praying in the very divine plan that he's been talking about all along in Ephesians. This prayer for Christ to dwell in our hearts, it might though sound a bit unsettling. After all, doesn't Christ already live in the hearts of believers by his spirit? Why does Paul need to pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts? Well, yes, uh, Paul has made it crystal clear right at the start of his letter in 1 verse 13, hasn't he, that anybody who hears and believes the good news about Christ already has the spirit dwelling in them. Okay, so so, so what then is Paul praying for here if Christ already lives in our hearts? Well, 
let me use another analogy to perhaps help us. Um, as you've heard, Amy and I uh, just uh, moved up to Forward recently. Actually, we were living with um, Paul and Debs Horton, if you know them, um, until about six weeks ago, um, when we finally moved into the house that had been got ready for us. It, moving in took a day, just one day. But settling in, really making this house our home, well, that's still going on. Boxes are still being unpacked. The mementos of our uh, 15 years of marriage are still being dusted off and arranged around the door. We're still, as it were, coming to dwell in the house. And I take it that's what Paul is talking about here. Yes, Christ lives in his church already, but perhaps there are still some rooms that haven't fully been made over yet, haven't really been renovated or reordered. There's still work to do to make this a place, a, a, a residence, a dwelling, a royal dwelling fit for the king. Ultimately, do you see in verse 19 what Paul's praying for? That we would be filled with all the measure of all the fullness of God. That's actually language from the Old Testament to describe the way that God came to dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. And what really made the temple speak of God's glory, what made it glorious, was not the beautiful stones or the gold leaf or the fine embroidery in it. But above all, it was God himself moving in and filling the temple with his presence, the cloud of his glory. Well, did you see what fills the church, this new temple, with divine glory? It's not a cloud, but a display of divine glory far greater even than in the Old Testament temple. Did you see verse 17? I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, verse 18, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the heart of Paul's prayer, and this is the heart of what will transform us to be a dwelling fit for God that speaks of his glory. What is it that makes us fit for God? It's God himself powerfully revealing Christ's love to us. That's what transforms us. That's what renovates us and reorders us. Now, once again, you might think, but surely Christ's love is something every Christian already knows. I mean, by definition, that's why we became Christians, isn't it? As his love wooed us through his death for us, wooed us to submit our lives to his rule, trusting him because he loves us. But actually, Paul shows us that this love is not quickly or easily grasped and certainly never fully grasped. Do you see, firstly, we need power to grasp this love. Verse 18, that you might have power. To grasp Christ and his love. 
I think it's no secret, isn't it, that in our particular church culture, we can quickly reduce knowledge of Christ to, to merely learning about him in a sermon or in a Bible study. We overestimate the power of our minds, our intellects, to grasp Christ's love. And we underestimate the need to have our hearts remade by God's power. So often we fail to see Christ's love simply because our hearts still resist him in lots of ways, sideline him in lots of ways, reduce him down in lots of ways. In Paul's first prayer in Ephesians, um, do you remember, he prayed that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? But again, it speaks to the fact that it's not just our intellect that we use to see who God is, but our hearts, the core of our being, which holds our deepest commitments and desires. And we cannot change that part of us simply by better education or information. We need divine power for renovation and transformation in order to know Christ. We like to think of ourselves as neutral observers of the facts of the universe, but the truth is that we're not. What we want, what we're committed to, actually skews our vision of what is true and what is real. So unless Christ Unless God, by his power, changes our hearts to make them open to knowing Christ more deeply, to being, as it were, fully taken over by his indwelling, then we will always struggle to fully grasp who he is. We also need each other to know this love. Did you see that next little phrase in verse 18? That you may have power, verse 18, together with all the saints to grasp the love of Christ. You see, Christ and his love are too great for any one of us to realise or grasp on our own. His love is off the scale. It's beyond any one of us to ever plumb its depths alone. That's why Paul talks about its breadth and length and height and depth here. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? We might say today, I guess, I love you to the moon and back to give a sense of the scale of our love. Uh, you might read that story to your kids if you have them. I love you to the moon and back. And that perhaps gets us closer to what Paul is talking about here. But, you know, in the original Greek, it's a bit less clear what's going on. Literally, the prayer reads like this. It's really interesting. Verse 18, that you may have power together with all the saints, to grasp what is the length and breadth and height and depth. Full stop. The phrase stands alone, the length, the height, the breadth and the depth, full stop. It's really weird. And to a Greek speaker in the first century, it would have sounded actually like Paul was talking about comprehending the scale of the universe. That's what the language uh, would have meant to them back then. Uh, he seems to be talking about uh, both the size of the universe, its space, but also its time. The length word here is a, a, a time length. But he doesn't seem to be talking about love. 
But that, of course, is precisely Paul's point, isn't it? Christ's love is unlike any other because it spans the universe. It spans history. It spans the world. Haven't you seen that as you've been studying God's history spanning worldwide plan in Ephesians? Some of you might know Psalm 103, where the same idea is found that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so God loves us. From everlasting to everlasting, so is God's love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us in his love. And it's an idea that's absolutely in line with everything in Ephesians. God chose us in Christ, predestining us in love before the creation of the world. How long is his love? The one who loves us did so by coming down to earth to die and be buried into the grave. How deep is his love for us? And even as he's ascended to sit at the right hand of the father, where he takes the rule above every other rule, he doesn't forget his love for us. How high is his love for us? His love extends to the whole world, covers every family every nation, every ethnicity, how wide and broad is his love for his church, for those near and far. You see, wherever you look in the universe, in time and space, the love of Christ for his church is on display, the love of Christ for us. It's so sad, isn't it, that so many people have believed Dawkins that when we look at the universe, all we see is a random accident. But how sad that the church, that we fail to see what's really before our eyes as we look up and look around. We need God's power to see and to know. We need each other, each other's stories and insights about this love, each other's experiences. But notice, of course, that though this love surpasses knowledge as Paul puts it in verse 19 it certainly doesn't bypass knowledge we also need Ephesians don't we I'm so glad that um, you've been studying it and I hope you'll continue to review it this letter cannot ever be meditated on too much chewing it over together again and again as you pray for power the promise is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God and the results will be glorious I used to, uh, like I say, work for a little church plant in central London. We actually had, though, an enormous building in the centre of London. Um, it was just short of Westminster Abbey in terms of its height. I love church buildings that bring glory to God in the world, uh, pointing people up to him. But actually, that's not God's plan. We are the building designed to bring him glory. The church. You see verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Wow. Really? You know, I think we're used to the idea, aren't we, that Christ Jesus brings God glory, his impeccable life, his teaching, his miracles, death, resurrection. To God be glory in Christ Jesus for all generations. Yeah, sure. But in the church? In us? In these faces on the screen? In us, really? 
Perhaps we don't pray these kind of prayers like Paul does for ourselves because we haven't yet grasped how central we are, the church, to God's plans for glorifying himself in the universe. I want to encourage you as a church to pray big prayers together for yourselves like Paul prays here. But equally, if you haven't and you feel your weakness in your prayers, please don't despair. Because do you see, this isn't a prayer request, but a prayer report. Paul has already prayed this prayer for you. Uh, for you. Is that right? Shouldn't I be saying for the Ephesians? Well, no, for, for you too. Verse 21, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, even down to today, even the boomers, the war generation, X, Y, Z generation, the millennials, all generations, forever and ever, says Paul. And what's more, the one answering Paul's prayer is none other than, verse 14, the father of all families, the one whose love is over all that he has made, the one whose power, verse 20, is, well, beyond limits. The one whose power, verse 20 at the end, the one whose power is at work in us. Do you see? Paul has prayed this prayer to our loving father, who by his unlimited power is already at work in us. Isn't that encouraging? Above all today, please be encouraged. God has a plan and he has the power to do it. It's a glorious plan, a plan to make us a loving home for his son. And he will do it as he draws us deeper and deeper into Christ's love for us. Isn't that amazing? Um, Chris, shall I pray for us? Okay. Please, Father, we pray so much that you would give us a, a fresh and deeper experience of Christ's love. Please help us to know that love of Christ that fills the universe and surpasses knowledge, that you might indeed glorify yourself, even in us and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.